0: Okay, I'm on the train, crowded subway car here in Chicago, and the guy next to me is sneezing and coughing, and I don't want to get sick. So I find myself, I'm sort of pulling up my, my shirt and covering my mouth, and I realize I don't actually know if this is doing anything.
1: On the line with us now is Kelly Dixon. She's an infection prevention and control specialist at the Mayo Clinic, in La Crosse, Wisconsin.
0: So, Kelly, am I making any difference at all?
2: Um, uh, Very little. It, depending on what your shirt was made of, um, we'll assume that it was cotton or some sort of a cotton blend. It actually, it it could hold some germs and, and be uh, a mild barrier. So y- you could have done something. But also then, it's also going to harbor the bacteria from your breath in and out. Mm. So in the long run, it's probably just as detrimental as it is um
1: Okay, Kelly. So if a shirt isn't going to block germs, Mm -hmm. like a regular cotton shirt, uh, is there any other kind of fabric, though, that is better at protecting us from germs?
2: Well, certainly in hospital and healthcare, we have the masks that are specifically designed for that. Mm -hmm. But in terms of an article of clothing, I'm unaware of anything that's manufactured that's like an antibacterial shirt.
1: But no one wants to be the guy who's wearing the mask. So here's a question. Could I make a shirt... Out of a bunch of masks,
2: um, nobody wants to see that guy either. Uh, <laughs> that would be hideous.
1: Yeah, that's. But I think I want people to run in the other direction. <laughs> I think that's part of the goal.
2: Um, it's good to have a goal. <laughs> the truth is, though, um, in a very recent copy of the American Journal of Infection Prevention, uh, there was an article said that if somebody sneezed and didn't cover their mouth, it um, those bacteria and germs could travel like thirty to forty feet. So probably anywhere on the train, you're going to be just as germ-filled. It it doesn't matter if he's next to you or, you know, across the train from you. You're you're still going to get caught.
0: That's actually really great to know because I have thought about moving, but you're telling me it's not worth it.
2: Not worth it.
1: Could I make a scarf out of one of those masks (laughs) or a couple masks?
2: No. (laughs) It's getting worse. It's hideous and hideouser. That is no. But I
0: mean, but but essentially, Mike's goal is to repel people. Not only does it have a protective effect, people maybe keep a little more distance.
2: Uh, that's well, okay. It would be a, a, a credit word to do that it would be effective in that manner.
0: Well, Kelly, thank
1: you so much.
2: Yeah, thanks so much for having me. All right, bye bye. Bye.
0: We should say what it comes down to. Kelly's advice: basically, hand sanitizer is is your friend, and it's
1: also something you should put on your hands to kill germs. This is How To Do Everything.
0: I'm Mike. And I'm Ian. On today's show, we'll tell you how to insult people properly. But first... Hey, Casey. What can we help you with?
1: So I
3: actually um, called to see if you guys could help me find a uh, a better way to pour root beer. Okay. I, uh, I love root beer. And uh, I always, uh, I'll pour it and it foams up to like, you know, there's just a tiny bit of root beer at the bottom and it foams up to the top of the glass and, you know, floats over and I... I just am looking for a better way to do it.
0: Yeah. Well, what have what have you tried? <laughs> so
3: I've I've tried a lot of stuff. I've uh, you know I've, I'll put it in the fridge for a while so it's nice and cold, or um, and then you know I'll pour it over ice or pour it at room temperature. I've actually tried to get it really close to frozen because I don't I don't know why, but I feel like it's gonna do a better job when it's cold. I've even tried the. uh the old method of like pouring beer you know where it's you pour it against the side of the cup to try and
1: yeah minimize
3: the foam but nothing seems to work. I actually poured a cup of root beer earlier today and I you know I had to sit and wait 15 20 seconds for the foam to go down just because yeah you know, nothing
1: works. And that's you're missing valuable root beer time when you're waiting for it for the foam.
3: Yeah, I mean these these are seconds I'll never get back.
0: Do you have a do you have a root beer with you right now?
3: Um I actually I I can go grab one right now. Yeah,
0: let's see if we can hear your technique.
3: All right, let me go and let me go and get a cup real quick.
1: I'm a little worried that Casey might have a root beer problem.
0: Yeah, it's the addiction that we need to address before the phone. <laughs> oh, oh,
1: hold on. There,
3: there's there could that could be something also that we needed to address. <laughs> but that's a difference. That's a whole different thing. Yeah. All right. So let me see. I'll, I'll go ahead and I'll, I'll uh, pour and I'll put the cup. I'll put the uh, the phone near the cup so you guys can hear. Thanks. All right. Uh, I just poured it, and it's like three quarters foam and a little bit of drink, a little bit of soda at the bottom right now, just okay. sitting there.
0: Huh. We we are going to try and find find some help for you.
3: That sounds great. I can't wait to find hear what you guys find out.
0: All right, we've got Guy Crosby on the line. He's the science editor for America's Test Kitchen.
1: Guy, can you help out
0: Casey?
4: Oh, there are a number of solutions that should at least mitigate, reduce the amount of foaming. You know, So when you think of sugar, the more you... All right, Guy is talking
1: water. now and he's saying a lot of uh, scientific things uh, that might be hard to absorb, so we'll just try and sum it up quickly.
0: All right, the, the colder a liquid gets, the higher uh, the concentration of gas you can dissolve in it. So... Colder root beer has more carbon dioxide uh, in it. And also the pressure of the bottle keeps the gas in the liquid. So when you pour cold root beer into a warm or room-temperature glass, the gas comes rushing out, and uh, you get even more foam. It's even worse because there's no longer pressure holding it in. Okay, now we're going to go back to Guy.
4: The other thing I would say is that when you pour um, the, the beverage, the root beer, into a glass, the thing that really triggers sudden release of all this gas are what's called nucleation sites. And these are places when the gas bubbles can develop and then suddenly release. And these are things like a little bit of lint or imperfections in the glass, like little teeny tiny scratches you can't even see, little pock marks. This is where the gas will start to collect and then all of a sudden suddenly be released from the from the gas, from the beverage.
0: So does that mean the, the more irregular the surface that you're pouring the root beer onto, the more foam you're going to get? Yes. Okay. So
4: that's one thing you can do. Another thing is, of course, you could chill down the glass so that when you're pouring the, the root beer and it's not hitting a warm surface, which is going to decrease the concentration uh, that you can dissolve the gas in and want the wants the gas to come out, but if you, if you pour it onto a cold surface, it's going to help to maintain the temperature of the liquid and maintain the, the greater solubility that the gas has at lower temperatures. Okay. Oh, well, the other thing you can do is, and this comes back to sort of the art of champagne, you know, and how people, you know, care about how much bubbly they get out of a glass of champagne. You know, when you have a high surface area glass, like a goblet, uh, it's going to trigger the the more release more rapidly of the gas versus a tall, thin glass, which has less surface area to contact the liquid and, you know, cause the gas to be released either due to temperature or to nucleation sites. So if Casey used a real tall, thin glass that he had chilled down in the freezer and one that was really, really, really clean, maybe even almost new, um, then you'd have a good chance of having much less fizzing.
0: I mean, it makes the the daily drinking of root beer a lot more festive in a flute, though.
1: Yeah, it would. How much do you think it would cost, Guy, to get a champagne flute fitted with a handle?
4: Um, well, that's a good question. I don't know that I know that. I do know I, I went to, uh, gave a lecture at the University of Toledo, and it was in their chemistry department, and they have a blower there. And he makes special mugs. They gave me one to take home, which was tall and narrow with a handle on it. (laughs) So I think it would work out just right. You
3: have reached Steve Motor at the University of Toledo Glass Shop. I am either out of the office or I have my hands full of hot glass. Please leave a detailed message, including your name and phone number. And I will get back to you as quickly as I can. Thank you.
1: Hello, Steve. This is Mike and Ian from NPR. We got your number from Guy Crosby. We want to talk to you about... Hello. Hello, Steve.
3: Just walked in. What's up?
1: Hey, it's, uh, it's Mike and Ian from How to Do Everything at NPR.
3: All right. How's it going? Good, good. What's going on there?
1: So we got your number from uh, Guy Crosby, and we were talking to him, and he told us about the mug you made for him. Uh Uh-huh. And so, well, we had a special request. We have a listener who really loves root beer. Uh Uh-huh. And he doesn't like that when he pours his root beer, it creates all this root
0: beer foam. Uh Uh-huh. And Guy said that... There's really no better glass to minimize your your root beer foam than, than the type you made, the skinny with the handle. Uh-huh. What what can we do to get our hands on one of those?
3: Yeah, I can put a mug together for you. Tell me what you want. Um, the mug will probably be around 10 bucks.
1: That's great. We can handle that. Yeah, we can cover that. Okay. Thanks so much.
5: You bet.
0: All right. Bye-bye, Steve. Take care. Bye. All right. We've reached the point in our show where we uh, talk about our sponsors who give us money. And we encourage you to stay tuned and listen, even though these are technically
1: commercials. It's underwriting. So, Ian, I noticed uh, the other day that you were using the
0: internet to look at websites. It's one of my favorite things to do on the internet. Well, then you should know about Igloo. I do. It's Igloo software. Right, what they do is they
1: make an internet you'll actually like with things like, you know, integrated apps for file sharing, blogs,
0: shared calendars, and, you know, task management. What about blogs? I said that. It's everything you need to take the crazy out of collaboration. Igloo's built with responsive design, so it will work on any device to help you work better. If your company has an internet that feels like it was built in the 90s, the 1990s, and you want to take Igloo for a spin, Go to igloosoftware.com slash everything. That's the key, slash everything, because that means we get the money. You can use it for free with up to 10 of your favorite people, co-workers or customers, igloosoftware.com slash everything.
1: Hey, Ian, I noticed the other day you were looking at your body and we're going to put clothes on it.
0: It's one of my favorite things to do with my body.
1: Then you should know about Trunk Club. It's a men's outfitting service uh, focused
0: on simplifying the process of buying clothes. Every guy who uses Trunk Club is matched with a personal stylist who will get to know his style and preferences and then handpick a selection of premium clothing.
1: Wait, did you already know about Trunk
0: Club? They'll pack it in a trunk and ship it straight to your door.
1: Right, and then they have 10 days to choose to decide what they'd like and what they don't like,
0: and they can send back what they don't like. Shipping is free both ways with no monthly obligations.
1: You can try out Trunk Club at trunkclub.com slash everything.
0: Next time, just tell me if you already know about something. I still like talking about it. Last week, Archbishop Desmond Tutu called the government of South Africa a "quote lickspittle bunch."
1: And no, that's not a term you hear applied really anywhere these I've days. I've never heard it before. Ammon Shea is on the line with us now. He co-wrote the book "Depraved and Insulting English."
0: So, Ammon, uh, lickspittle—is this a term you're familiar with?
1: Yes, a fawning
5: sycophant a parasite. Oh. Someone who licks the spit of another, I, I imagine.
0: Oh. You would have to be pretty fawning to do that, I guess. Right.
1: So are there any other kind of old or archaic insults that we should bring back? Um, yeah, there's a, one of
5: my personal favorites is a caconator, which is um, a word for somebody who either laughs too much or laughs too loudly.
0: A cackinator.
5: Um, yeah, who's very closely related generally to the... Psyeloquent, who's somebody who actually spits when they speak. I mean, we just call them spitters, I guess, but Psyeloquent has a kind of more noble ring to it. Um, but I think my all time favorite insult is probably a, a Bayard, B A Y A R D, um, because it's so applicable in so many areas of life. And a, a Bayard is a person who is um, armed with the self confidence of ignorance.
1: Like a confident idiot.
5: Not just a confident idiot, but somebody who is confident because of their idiocy, I think. One of the things that I think is delightful about English is how ridiculously specific it can be in so many uh, circumstances. Um, you know, a pricklouse was a, not what it sounds like, fortunately. A pricklouse <laughs> was a derogatory term for a, a tailor in the 17th century. Huh. Um, a rapin, R-A-P-I-N, was a word for an unruly art student, um, I'm not quite sure why we needed such specific words for these things, but they came up, and you know somebody filed them away for future use, I suppose.
1: So, Ammon, when you're driving, what do you yell at the people who cut you <laughs> off in traffic, knowing that you have this arsenal of insults at, at your fingertips? I don't, I'm sorry to say. <laughs> Come on, really?
5: <laughs> well, first of all, I live in New York City, so I do very little driving.
0: Right. Um, well, let's let's say, though, let's say someone from... Uh, I don't know, the 1600s, 1700s, uh, was transported into the future and suddenly became a cab driver in New York uh-huh. City. What what might they yell? Uh, uh,
4: they would yell
5: probably Jehu, which was uh, a very archaic insult for a, um unruly, ferocious, or unreasonable driver. Um, <laughs> Jehu comes from the Old Testament, uh, and I think Jehu was the... Son of Nimshi, and he was he was known in the Old Testament in those circles for being um, a particularly reckless charioteer. Um, and so Jehu kind of extended itself into the 16th, 17th, 18th centuries as um,
1: as a synonym for a, a reckless driver.
0: So, like, can, can you believe this Jehu? Like, <laughs> something like that.
1: Yeah. Well, Ammon, thanks for uh, telling us about this stuff. All right. Well, thank you for having me. You're a real pricklouse. That's exactly what I I've heard that before. We
0: got an email from Sarah. Sarah says she listens to How to Do Everything while blowing up gloves and burning rubber mats. Sarah, these next 15 seconds are for you. She's just a girl and she's on fire. Sarah's email signature says she works at a rubber rubber goods okay. company. So it's not just a hobby. Oof. Not that if blowing up gloves and burning rubber mats, if that is your hobby, there's nothing wrong with it. It's like every day is the fourth of July. I if honestly, it sounds a lot more exciting than, say, coin collecting.
1: Imagine, you can imagine, like, if there's, like, a movie. It's like, we need a demolitions expert, but not just anyone, someone who knows how to blow up gloves. Oh, cl- well, that does it for this week's show. What'd you learn, Ian?
0: I, I learned that uh, champagne flute is actually the perfect uh, vessel for uh, root beer.
1: Which is, you you think that the people who make champagne, if they knew we were putting root beer in our champagne flutes, I bet they'd be insulted.
0: Well, the important thing uh, to remember is um, only root beer from the root beer region of France can be called root beer. Everything else is just sparkling sassafras. I learned that a cacinator is somebody who laughs too much. You know, yeah, when you think about it, like, imagine how different the Terminator would have been if it was the cackinator. I'm a friend of Sierra (laughs) Conner. I'll be back. (laughs) How to Do Everything is produced by Jillian Donovan, with technical direction from Lorna White.
1: Our intern this week is Jeff Bartle,
0: PhD. Our artist-in-residence is Justin Witte. You can get us your questions at howto at npr.org. Our website is howtodoeverything.org. I'm Ian. And I'm Mike. Thanks. Thanks. Uh Uh-huh.